2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever. I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward, yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled. My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed and it left me in a hospital bed. Now I left that job and created this podcast and I left that hospital bed to run marathons and prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we respond to them. On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is a lot to talk about. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It's your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. Of course, you can call me Brad. Very excited for today's pod. When I say that I rarely use products or find things that add to my life as opposed to take away from them, I feel like that would be a pretty fair statement. But the guest that we have on today created a product and is the founder and CEO of a brand that has changed my life in many ways. So I'm excited for this one. He's a man single-handedly responsible for putting me into bed a couple hours earlier every night and making sure that I'm tucked in with a cold room and a nice pillow to get a good night's sleep. So ladies and gentlemen, from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Will Ahmed, the founder of Whoop. How are you, brother? Bradley, thank you for having me. Big fan. Mate, I'm really, really grateful that I get to sit down to talk with you because there's two things that I love. One of them is conversation and storytelling. And I'm really excited for what we get to chat about today. The other thing is health and doing things to make sure that I get the most out of my life. And that as someone with cystic fibrosis, the focus is always around staying as healthy as you can, getting the most out of your health and being able to get up in the morning and just really seize the day. And Whoop is a big part of that journey for me now. I first discovered the product when you went on Diary of a CEO and spoke to Stephen Bartlett. And I remember listening to that interview and just thinking, man, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm fit, but not consistently feeling as great as I'd like to. And I'd never really put the focus on recovery because I think as a, you know, at the time, 26 year old male, you know, your main focus in life is to try and look good. Right. And, you know, it was always about the output and about how much I pushed my body and the strain that I went through and how that would affect the way that I looked and then the way that I performed so I could keep up with my mates. But then when I found your conversation, I love that the focus of Whoop was on getting the most out of the 20 hours of the day in which you're not training or not putting your body under stress and strain. And so it's been quite life-changing for me, literally in the sense that my sleep has become a focus, my recovery has become a focus, and what I do put into my body and the stress I put myself under is something that I take note of now every day. So thank you for creating an incredible product is essentially what I'm saying, but I'm really excited to get into the story of it all, the journey. So talk to me, where does, you know, a guy that's going to Harvard, who is there on a, a scholarship to play squash, I believe, where does the fascination for health and physiology come from? Well, first of all, thank you for being on Whoop and, and for, uh, you know, enjoying the product and getting a lot of value out of it. It's been quite a journey building the company. I mean, I started it now 11 years ago, and I've probably been thinking about it for, you know, 13 or 14 years. I, I mean, I first got an inclination for what Whoop could become when I was maybe just 19 years old. I was always into sports and exercise. I was playing 
uh, squash at Harvard, but I had grown up playing a bunch of different sports and I just felt like generally I didn't really know what I was doing to my body while I was training. It seemed kind of random. Some days I felt great. Some days I felt run down. I was really in a mindset of more is more. So, you know, I, I would find myself uh, overtraining almost every season and not really knowing why. And I just got really interested in, okay, well, what could you measure about the human body if you wanted to really understand training, if you wanted to really understand performance, if you wanted to figure out how to peak on a given day? And that research took me down a rabbit hole at Harvard, and I uh, I read hundreds of medical papers. I, I put together a paper on how to continuously measure the human body. I separately wrote a business plan about, okay, if you could collect all these data points, could you create a business around it? And, you know, they say, uh, if you're nervous, be prepared. I think I was, I was really overwhelmed by the idea of starting a company. I didn't know what that meant. Here, I'd never had a full-time job before, you know, I used to caddy in the summer. Like it wasn't, it wasn't obvious that I was, uh, about to be a, an entrepreneur. And so I I just did a ton of work and a ton of research. And as I better understood the problem, the problem became more exciting. Mm, I love that. And I love that statement, you know, if you're nervous, be prepared. And I think it's interesting that we can have interests in life and how those interests convert to an ability to do that for a living is a real challenge. And, and, you know, in all honesty, that's been a great challenge for me with what I do as a speaker and podcast host. There's a genuine interest, passion, desire to do good, but how do I convert that to being a sustainable business in which I can live and support my partner and I and put a roof over our head? And, you know, I guess we'll get into that a little bit later on, but I'm really curious as to that passion for understanding your body better, that passion for understanding the physiology and what's going on behind the scenes. Was that something you were studying at Harvard or were you studying something completely left of center to that? I mean, technically I was studying government and economics. And so next thing I knew I was chasing classes that, that allowed me to better understand this phenomenon of, of the human body. So I was a little bit, I was a little bit out of my depths too, but I think it goes back to this idea that if you're motivated and you do the work, you, you know, this is a time when you can really learn an enormous amount about any subject. And so uh, fortunately, I, I found the resources to go deep on the human body. So when that fascination started to turn into the homework and the development of understanding, when did it become obvious to, to you that this was a route that you wanted to go down in terms of starting a business? Because if I'm correct, you started founded whoop at the final year in harvard that's pretty early to start a business that's now at this scale yeah it's been quite a journey uh i built up the confidence to start the company my senior year and i didn't know necessarily what that meant but i started looking for people who i thought could help me with the idea who could help build technology who had different skill sets so I found very, you know, a very technical founding team ultimately. And we started working out of the Harvard Innovation Lab and big focus on computer science and algorithms and hardware development. And 
from there, we were able to successfully build technology, albeit not in a beautiful form factor, that could measure some very key signals about your body. And that was just enough to to raise some additional capital and get us to the next stage. And the first five or six years of the company's history were largely getting to just enough of a milestone to raise more capital to get to the next milestone. You know, you, you may interview other entrepreneurs or business leaders. And I think if you're founding a company, they sort of come in two different forms. One type of company is we have a hypothesis and we're going to test and iterate our way to solving that hypothesis. And so it's very iterative and changes are rapidly made. And you may wake up two years later and the thing you've built is wildly different than what you thought you were going to build two years ago. Mm -hmm. There's a second category of company, which is build it and they will come. It's a much bigger vision and it takes longer and it costs more. But the idea is if it's successful, they're all going to show up for it. And, and, uh, those are just two different ways to build a company, but I think it's important to recognize which which you know which journey you're on. And I was on the the second, which is really strong perspective on what we wanted to create and sort of a relentless pursuit of that. And uh, and so that that made the the company's development very challenging. It took a lot of time, cost a lot of money, but we've ultimately now built a. A pretty special business as a consequence. Okay. I love that we've gone down this path because I'm not business minded in the sense that um, I'm entrepreneurial or have a focus right now on creating something that is bold and new and different. I'm very passion driven. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. But I love what you said there about, you know, playing that long game and you're moving down the road towards something that you can see. It's a vision you have and a belief that you have for what would, could be. And it takes time to obviously build the trust and build, I guess, a boat full of people who are on that same mission, right? That they're going to move with you. And, and as you said, build it and they will come. How did you find your relationship with self-belief and this belief that the company would be eventually what you thought it would? Because I know as someone who started something from scratch, who's got a big vision, I'm the biggest dreamer you'll ever meet. Well, like I have the biggest dreams for I like my life. That. And it, it excites me. It's the way that I operate. It's what gets me up in the morning and, and allows me to bounce out of bed. But sometimes it's hard for other people to see that vision when it's so deep within you and you have the greatest desire to make it happen. It doesn't mean that everyone around you is going to believe it. How was that for you? Well, for a number of years, it was, it was, it was a painful process. So let's go back in time. I'm 22 years old. 23, 24. I've got this company. It's very early stage, but at this point I've raised, you know, millions of dollars. I've got 10, 20 employees and everyone I meet for the most part is telling me what I'm doing is a bad idea or why should I be able to do it? Or, you know, you're not an engineer. You're not a doctor. How are you going to figure this out? And and variations of, well, if you could build this technology, you shouldn't do it for athletes first. You should go straight to healthcare. 
or, you know, so all these things that try to pull you off that path, right? That sort of initial vision you had is going to be constantly tested, right? And, and banged on. And I say it was a painful few years because I, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to process all the negative feedback without putting up kind of a wall to it. And so I felt like if I absorbed all this information that was coming at me, that was investors passing and people not wanting to join the company and, you know, people I knew or, or really valued their opinions telling me that I wasn't the right guy to do it. I felt that, uh, you know, it'd be hard to get out of bed in the morning uh, to absorb all that. And so I, I put up something of a brick wall and I, I think I was fairly stubborn um, during that period of time. And I, that was a coping mechanism. And I also wasn't great at that time at dealing with stress because I was very stressed and strung out trying to figure out what it was or what it took really to run a business. I I'd certainly had the right vision because a lot of the vision from 10 years ago is still true today. I mean, the paper that I wrote in, in college was titled The Feedback Tool, Measuring Intensity, Recovery, and Sleep. And today, the three main metrics on Whoop are strain, recovery, and sleep. So there, there was something of like a straight line for the vision. But along the way, there were all these uh, challenges to overcome with what it meant to run a business and start a business and work through doubters and people um, telling you that you were going to fail. So my coping mechanism was to put up a wall. And I got a lot better at running whoop and I became a healthier person for what it's worth when I learned how to process negative feedback and discard it rather than put up a wall to it I had an advisor say to mm -hmm. me you know you don't have to listen to this feedback but you should hear it um you know so there was there I became I think a little bit more mature through that process it was also around when I was, say, 24, 25 years old that I started meditating daily. I'd gone through kind of a painful process of being way too strung out, and I needed to figure out a way how to feel more balanced. And uh, and so meditation is something that I've done every day since. It's now been uh, almost 10 years uh, of doing that. And so that that's something that I highly recommend, too, as a method for, back to your question, finding self-belief, wrestling with doubt, wrestling with negative feedback. I'm going to let you convince me on meditation a little bit later because that is the one part of my health journey I haven't mastered yet, the mindfulness. But I want to firstly go into this, this idea of being able to process the feedback and then choose whether to take that on board or not because I think that's a really important lesson and and it can be quite challenging when you have a dream and a vision and people are telling you that you should think or feel otherwise. And, you know, I can imagine to start a company like Whoop, because this has been founded off the back of ultimately your own curiosity and desire to understand your body better. It's very personal, right? But you can't always attach your personal identity to that of a company, especially as you scale, I can imagine, because the hits and blows that you take along the way you don't want them to affect who you are or the way you feel about yourself as an individual. At what point in time, if ever, have you learned to detach yourself from the identity of the company? 
It's a great question. And I became a better CEO and a better kind of happier person when I learned how to disassociate my identity from that of the company's identity. I think early on, it might be for, for many entrepreneurs and founders, but it certainly was for me, like my identity was so closely tied to that of the companies and my performance as well. So if I, you know, if Whoop had a good day, I thought I had a good day. And if Whoop had a bad day, I thought I had a bad day. If Whoop was failing, I was failing. And it's 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 wrong on multiple levels. The first is that you don't want to be operating on the yo-yo that is your company's performance. You want to find yourself being like the uh, the mountain with the clouds passing by. You know, you want to be the steady hand. You don't want to be uh, sort of the ship in the choppy waters just getting thrown around. And, and it's a choice to be uh, on the up and down yo-yo versus to find peace and balance as things that are chaotic are, are happening around you. The second thing about the identity of yourself and that of the companies is it's actually really not true, even from a performance standpoint. I mean, you can do everything right and still not close the deal, close the candidate, raise the money. It, it might not be the right time. It might not be the right thing. So to say that your performance is that of the companies is, is actually just wrong and incorrect. And I've seen this both ways. I've seen companies that are sort of doomed and spiraling out of control, and yet their leadership you know, seems balanced and healthy and has the right mindset. I mean, gosh knows how many great businesses died because of COVID, for example, or COVID policies and, uh, you know, had nothing to do with how the founder was leading it or the CEO was leading it or the executive team were leading it. And on the flip side, you think about, you know, all these, uh, all these reasons that, the company uh, can be, you know, enormously successful. And, and I've seen founders who have had enormous success with their business and yet they're spinning out of control, right? They've kind of lost sight of who they are or what's important. And so for, for all the dynamics I just described, I think it's important to, to separate your identity from that of the companies or whatever project it is that you're working on, separate those identities. It's a really important lesson, isn't it? And it's something we definitely learn in adulthood that we often think that if we do everything right, the outcomes are controllable, but it's so not the case. And I think it was Rich Davini, um, former Navy SEAL, said to me, Brad, he said, you can fool yourself to think that any outcome in life is controllable. In fact, most things that we deal with every day are uncontrollable. The one thing we can control though, is what we believe and how we choose to act and the perspective in which we choose to take. And it's such, for me, it's been such an incredible tool to separate myself from the outcomes of what I work towards every day and rather just focus on the way I show up for myself the way that I show up and work on that day and, and the way that I choose to see whatever outcome comes my way or that I'm afforded. And I think it's an incredible lesson for us to learn because 
man, when that desire is so strong, it is so hard to accept anything other than what we've pictured for ourselves. You know, it can be so challenging. I'm interested when you speak about, you know, starting to develop that system, that foundation to detach yourself from the identity of the company. Is it all mindset or were there things practically that you were doing every day to be able to make that a little bit easier? I think it's in, I think it's in part mindset. I think there's certainly practices that you can engage in that also enhance that mindset. I think in order to get something off the ground that on paper shouldn't exist or is very hard or as people would say, unrealistic, there's a certain imbalance that you have to accept. So I'm not going to pretend like becoming an entrepreneur is a balanced lifestyle, especially in the early days. There's a sacrifice that comes with trying to do things that haven't been done before or are very hard. And so there's a certain acknowledgement you have to have that that sacrifice is taking place. And within that sacrifice, you then have to find your compass. And one way I did that was, you know, through meditating and other was through, you know, strong relationships with family members or my wife, still having a couple things outside of the business, like, you know, exercise or playing squash, like things that, you know, were a little hot, like hobbies or um, comfortable reliefs, uh, release vowels even on, on building this business. I think all of those things are important. I think, uh, again, you have to find some, you have to find some of these outlets for you to still be you and not just be the project mm. yeah, or such the company or the thing. Right. Yeah. It's such a good point. I can speak to that in my own life. And, you know, for me, that's running coffee with my mates. I've got such a good group of friends. I've got the best part. There you the go. It's so important yeah. to me. And it's really important that we have those things. Right. And I wonder when you talk about that first few years of the company that can be turbulent and can be challenging. And, you know, one minute it feels like you're on top of the world. The next you're like, will this thing survive? I can imagine that you have so many of those stories that you could relate back to, but I wonder when you think about what you're going to get from the company, like the future idea of where whoop is now and what comes from it for you personally, obviously the satisfaction that this vision you had, this idea you had is now something that serves a purpose for so many people around the world. But also there's this idea of being able to sustain ourselves, right? And have um, financial sustainability and an income to put food on the table, a roof over your head to be able to enjoy a lifestyle with the people that you love. I think in our 20s and our 30s as, as humans who watch the world around us and see, you know, I can imagine coming from Harvard, so many of your friends at a point in which you were still trying to figure out whoop would have been in jobs where they were earning really secure money and, you know, the day-to-day -day stress of their job will be there. but knowing whether their job's existing in a week or not isn't something that stresses them. They have that financial security. You can see them buying cars and buying homes and starting to set themselves up. And you're wondering like, what does that future look like for me? Because this is an uncertain space. Were you ever challenged by that? Yeah. I mean, the, Build, building things that don't exist is quite uncertain, right? And 
I think you have to hold a pretty clear perspective or vision in your mind of what does this look like when, what does success look like? Or what does the technology look like when it's at its best? Or when um, customers or WHOOP members are having their, their best experience? And so, you know, many of the testimonials that we receive daily today were testimonials that I dreamed of in building the business. Like I had a vision for people saying that this was going to help them peak on a specific day and win the Super Bowl or uh, a gold medal or an NBA championship. And we've now had all those testimonials. I mean, I dreamed of the fact that it would help someone train for their first marathon and understand recovery versus strain and not overtrain, like gets back to some of the challenges I faced. And this dream of helping a broader set of consumers, not just people who are athletic focused, but a broader set of consumers understand stress or sleep for the first time and know what they needed to do to improve it. And again, to receive testimonials of, I'm finally getting enough sleep and I feel like a new person and my relationships are so much better as a result and I'm doing so much better at work. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. And then, you know, lastly, and these are, these are the most surreal, but we, we receive messages for, for people who the product saved their life mm. and they'll say, uh, I got one yesterday where the, the man said that he identified from whoop data, things that seemed really off. He went to see a doctor and they said everything was fine. And because the data was so bad, he, he went to an ER and it turned out he was having a heart attack. And it's like, when you see that subject line, whoop saved my life, it's just an amazing, it's an amazing feeling. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not wrong to dream that you can build technology like that in the future. And then to try to hold that 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 feeling of what success looks like and to bring other people along with you on it. In many ways, that's been the the greatest feeling of building Whoop is having a vision for how the technology could be used really successfully. And then, you know, being able to put together a brilliantly talented team to execute against that. Yeah, I love that point because I think that a lot of us when we you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I started in real estate when I was 20. And when I started in real estate, I looked at that as an opportunity to do something in which I got to talk to people every day, but quickly that become an opportunity to make lots of money. Real estate is quite a lucrative business in Australia. Um, often the real estate agents are driving fancy cars and wearing nice suits and they live in nice houses themselves. And you think, well, those things are going to make me feel better about who I am as a person. Any insecurities that I have, well, we, we wiped clean and they won't exist anymore because I'll have a bunch of money. And I pretty quickly learned that that's quite a lifeless endeavor. And I found myself quite, let's say quite drained and quite empty um, after a few years in that business. And so for me, I had to detach myself from that idea and say, what's really important to me? Like, what's my purpose in life? What am I passionate about? What gifts do I have? How do I feel as though I can serve the world in a way in which it needs to be served and in a way that I wake up and my cup feels really full and I feel excited about the day. And for me, I found storytelling. And I think often that 
when we start businesses or we start endeavors or ideas in life, we think about what it does for us financially, but rather we should think about what it does for our heart, what it does for who we are as human beings. And I think that attests to the ability you've had to endure the challenges. You know, if Whoop was a financial decision from day one, maybe it and likely it would not have been as successful as it is now. You know, you wouldn't have had the endurance or the resilience to take on what is no way. way. Yeah, no way. Yeah, I love it. It's such an important message. You know, for you over the course of those years, how long was it until you could actually put a product on the market that people could subscribe to? Well, we worked with professional athletes for a number of years in small numbers. So two of our first hundred users were people like LeBron James and Michael Phelps. So we started at this tip of the pyramid in 2014 and 15 with athletes. And because we worked with literally the world's best athletes, we were able to expand from there to teams and, and high performance, uh, you know, really high performance athletes. And in 2017, we went to the consumer market and it really took another year and a half before we finally found the right business model, which is today's subscription. So you can now subscribe to Whoop for a low monthly rate and get all of the technology and analytics and software. And by the way, if you don't like it, you can you can cancel your subscription. So uh, it puts, I think the Whoop member, the Whoop customer and us as a business heavily aligned and that we need to deliver new technology, new software, new analytics to you every month uh, to keep you on the product. And if you're not getting value from it, you're gonna have to move on. But to your question, I mean, it was six years, maybe seven years into building the product before it was a real business. So I like to say that to sometimes to young people who come to me and think that becoming an entrepreneur might be a, a get rich quick strategy or, you know, they say, oh, I would love to to be able to do what you did. And I say, well are you willing to sacrifice six or seven years without having any real sales or traction as a business? And like, like how, how ready are you? Right. And I didn't know that's the, that's what I was signing up for, but that's what I've done. And so it's, it's just, uh, it's important to, to be honest with how hard it is. And, um, and, not overly romanticize um, the challenges associated with with building with building a business from scratch. It's so crazy for me to hear that two of the first hundred users were LeBron and Michael Phelps. Like, not just two athletes, but arguably the two most dominant athletes in their sport ever. Right? Which I know there'll be plenty of MJ fans who would would sure. want to jump in and, and say their piece there. And I'm not, I'm not going either way, but what I'm saying is these are two incredibly successful men in their sport, in their space. How did they hear about Whoop? Well, the secret to, I think, getting to anyone very high profile in the world is identifying someone who has a big influence on that person who other people don't know. Right. And in the case of a professional athlete, if you're going to go to their coach or agent or wife, you know, husband, 
everyone already knows that person. So that person's inundated all the time with, hey, I'd love to talk to LeBron about this. It turned out in 2014, so a relatively unknown person in, in these top athletes' lives was their personal trainer. Now, today with social media, personal training's gotten maybe more popular or individuals have built bigger brands. But back then, it was it was pretty unknown who LeBron James's trainer was or Michael Phelps's trainer was. And so, and they also happened to be the perfect person to introduce Whoop to their athlete. Excuse me. So we found the person who had a big influence on, on the athlete's life. And at that point, the product had to deliver or not. If the trainer used it and didn't like it, it's not getting on the athlete. But that was the bet we made. We said, we're going to build the very best technology for performance. So how did you first find out that LeBron was wearing a whoop? Was that something where like you get a, a bell that rings in the office and everyone goes, oh my God, LeBron's just subscribed to whoop? Or is that you physically see the product on him? Like, what does that look like? It's a great question. You know, uh, one of the cooler moments in the history of building whoop was watching uh, I think it was in December because I was watching an NBA basketball game at home with my parents. At this point, I'm a couple of years into building this company and it's a bit, it's, you're kind of squinting at, is this going well or not? If you're an outside observer and on television comes a Kia commercial, you know, the car company. Mm. And in the Kia commercial is LeBron James. And in the commercial, LeBron is actually wearing a whoop strap. And I remember like jumping out of my seat and be like, mom, dad, look, look, LeBron's wearing the whoop. Uh, and, and it's in the commercial. He must've not wanted to take it off because he was getting so much value out of it. And so of course I, I texted his trainer who I'd gotten to know at that point. I was like, looks like LeBron's hooked on it. If he's wearing it in a commercial and uh, Mike Mencius, who's LeBron's longtime trainer, uh, shot me a note back like, um, uh, yeah, he he's loving it and he wouldn't even take it off during the commercial. So that, you know, that. those are, mo those are moments where it's like independent from sales or other forms of traction that as like a little milestone or a little nudge keeps you going. I bet it does. And I can imagine there was a couple of texts sent to mates and the, the inner circle at that point in time too. Totally. Yeah, for sure. What are some of the hardest challenges that you've had to learn along the way? Because I think that in starting anything or creating anything monumental, there's definitely lessons in which we, we look back on and with hindsight, we think, wish I knew that then, or, or wish I was given a heads up on that. There's a lot around team building. I mean, building a team is very hard. I think one of the hardest, maybe the hardest thing is when you work with someone who's been amazing in helping the company get from A to B. And A might be a 10-person organization with very little sales and is R&D. And B might be a 50-person company now with you know, millions in sales. And, and you know, only a, a year or two went by, but all of a sudden, it's a different company. Mm. And the person who is great for A, company A, you realize is no longer great for company B. That is the hardest moment because you've got someone who uh, was an amazing member of the team 
and the company's outgrown them or they're just not right for this next stage. And I've often seen, I, I that was one that I struggled with for a long time because you feel like out of a sense of loyalty for who's helped me get to this stage, they're entitled to take us to the next. And it might be actually that you need to bring in new people to help them or uh, to take you in a new direction. And that's just life or building a business. It's sort of a, uh, you know, it's one of the challenging things about about evolution. Mm. So how many employees do you have now? Um, about 550. Whoa, that's massive, isn't it? That's massive. Yeah. Has that been a big part a of because I know you guys have just built and, and set up a new HQ in Boston there. Has that been a part of that journey? Like just needing more space for more innovation and more staff and and I guess essentially more work. It's uh I'm glad you bring up the new headquarters. We just moved into this new office in uh in the heart of Boston. And it was an interesting decision because in the dead of covid we decided to sign for this new lease which was going to be a big office building right in the center of boston and at the time three restaurants across the street in boston were going out of business and there were people who really thought cities would never be the same again this was pre-vaccine so uh it's uh it goes back to, you know, how do you picture the future and what's your belief system? And, and sometimes it's also goes back to making a contrarian bet that later turns out to be right. Because if a lot of people believe something and it turns out to be wrong and you're on the right side of it, you have a big upside. And this was a good example because we, we took a bet on this new office space at a time when no one else thought that was a good idea. And now we have this beautiful space in the heart of Boston that everyone wonders how we got. And it's because, you know, you could have had it then you just didn't think it was a good idea. So, and, and what's nice about that too, is uh, we've been able to build bespoke spaces for a lot of our teams. So hardware team has a lab, uh, we have a, a gym for a number of uh, employees and for data collections. We've got an ID studio. We've got an apparel and accessories studio. We've got a pod, podcast studio. We've got a big cafeteria for, for all of our employees. We've got a, a rooftop, which is great for events. So we've been able to create um, a physical space that feels very on brand and brings us together as a company. I love it. And I just love the the personal touch of it all. Like I, I look through some of the stuff that's happening on the feed and like, it feels like you guys really give back to the staff at work, like uh, little things that people wouldn't know unless they'd heard you speak on interviews that all of the engineers initials are on the circuit board of the. Battery. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, there just seems like there's some real personal touches in the company, which I think speaks to the culture of a place like whoop and, and what it's like. I'm really interested, Will, you know, as someone who has founded a business that is all about health, it's about getting the most out of your physiology, getting the most out of your life. What does a week in your life look like? It's a good question. And I, I will say that I, 
I would say that I mostly optimize my life as a CEO versus directly as a human. And so there are certain things that I would do differently if I was entirely optimizing for being a human. But I think that's what everyone goes through. You know, everyone's dealing with, well, what are they trying to accomplish? What's the sacrifice that comes with that? So, you know, in a week in which I'm not traveling, and I would probably travel a lot less again if I was just trying to optimize Whoop data. In a week in which I'm not traveling, I exercise, you know, four or five times a week. I've found that that's actually a little bit more optimal for me than trying to exercise almost every day, both in terms of recovery time, but also in terms of just how much time I have in a day. I like to still play squash competitively, so I'll do that. Uh, you know, maybe once or twice a week, I work out with a trainer a couple times a week, which has been great. And then I'll throw in some new, you know, maybe activity I'm trying last week. It was, um, Pilates or bar. Uh, I've gotten more into yoga. Um, I play in a soccer league. So, you know, introducing these sort of different, uh, fun activities. I play golf. So I, I like to have, um, an active lifestyle. And certainly, um, and certainly exercise is a big, a big part of that. Uh, I eat three meals a day, uh, and no snacks. Uh, so my, my diet, I would say is fairly, uh, simple, uh, a lot of protein, but I also eat carbs and vegetables, try to avoid dairy at all costs as I'm allergic to it. I, uh, I try to get into the office around, uh, you know, eight 30 or so, and I'm probably there, uh, until seven or eight, depending on the day, maybe I'll get out of there a little bit earlier, depending on what I'm working out and, uh, like to have dinner with my wife every night. My bedtime routine has gotten fairly dialed from mm. whoop. So maybe I'll give your audience a few tips in this process. I'd love, I think I need a few tips on this process. Cause if you can't tell brother, we're yeah. on video today for everyone watching or listening on. And there's some serious bags under my eyes this morning. So I'm interested to uh, you, this lifetime routine, my man. You look good. The, <laughs> uh, so the routine, uh, it starts actually a few hours before you go to bed even. So ideally you're eating, um, you know, uh, over three hours before you go to bed. I've seen, at least for me personally, that eating too close to bed disrupts the quality of my sleep. Um, I like to wear blue light blocking glasses in the evening. So again, optimizing as a CEO versus optimizing as a human. If you were really just pure optimization, you wouldn't look at a screen in the evening. You know, things like your phone, television sets, they're creating light. Often they can um, make you think about uh, stressful things like work and this and that. Um, but I'm on my phone right up into the minute I go to bed because I'm answering emails. I'm looking at things around the world because we have a global business now. And uh, what's nice about blue light blocking glasses is that in wearing these red tinted glasses, it blocks all of the light emitting from screens. So television sets, iPhones, iPads, so forth. And that um, blue light is what activates your mind and tells you to stay awake. And so if you can block that light, uh, it makes you naturally sleepy. 
So the I highly recommend these glasses. They dramatically improved my sleep quality and my recovery scores on Whoop. And Whoop actually makes these glasses now. So those are worth checking out. And then it, a lot of it goes back to the bedroom environment. So darker, colder, better air quality, quiet, all these things are critically important. Ideally, you're going to bed and waking up at similar times. Uh, so I'm, you know, I skew a little bit on the later end. I'm maybe like an 1130 to 630 or 1130 to seven kind of guy. So I'll probably spend, you know, between seven and seven and a half hours in bed. Maybe if it's a harder week, I'll be closer to six, but I've gotten good at making the hours in bed that I spend high quality hours. So that mm. hopefully gives you a summary of, of, uh, a week. I love that you just said there about high quality hours, because definitely one thing that whoop has made me very aware of is my sleep. So for the longest time, so in 2020, I really started to take control of my health again. I'd spent a couple of years in real estate, getting a bit of a dad board, sitting behind mm. a computer, too many biscuits, couple too many lattes and not moving all that much. And when I did move, it was very half-assed, you'd say, like I wasn't putting myself into it. And then I left my job in 2020 and I was starting to have some real ch health challenges. So my lungs were bleeding quite consistently. And I was like, I need to do something about this because I used to be quite an athletic, healthy kid who had a real hold. Like I'd grab the bull by the horns in terms of my cystic fibrosis. And I felt very much as though I was on top of it. And I got to this point at the age of 24, I was like, this health thing is starting to take control of my life. And with a chronic illness, it's quite scary when you realize that and take note of that fact. And so for me, the first port of call was to start moving again. And so I started running, which I wasn't a fan of long distance running, but I started running. And then after quite a particularly scary three days where I was in hospital every night with bleeding lungs, I decided that I was going to run a marathon and prove that wow. nothing was impossible for people with CF. And when I made that decision and I put it out on social media and it become very real because I had all these messages and all this support, I was like, well, I've got to do wow. this. Yeah. Like I'm committed. And so I did not know what that path looked like for me. And so as I started to learn and develop around training and nutrition and what it was going to take for me to do that, the thing that took me the longest time to really understand was recovery. And so most nights I was sleeping six hours a night. Well, I thought I was sleeping six hours a night. So I'd get into bed at 10.30 and I'd wake up at 4.30. And I was like, well, I just got six hours of sleep. And then what I started to realize was that I always felt like I was running a little on empty. I was always a little bit behind the eight ball when I woke up in the morning. And it, it just took my body time to properly wake up. And then I started striving for a little bit more sleep and found myself consistently landing at, similar to you, seven to seven and a half hours. But then I got a whoop. And I remember my first week with the whoop, I would go to bed and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go, oh, beauty, that should be a good snooze because I actually got eight hours last night. And then I'd look at my data and I'm like, oh, well, actually I was awake for an hour of it. And there you go, right? It wasn't that good quality. So I had eight hours, but for some reason, like I didn't have much deep or REM. And then I'd start to take note of the things that affected my sleep and learning about sleep and what quality sleep versus just quantity of sleep actually looks like has been a huge game changer for me. And so now I know in a world in which I get three and a half plus hours of restorative sleep, I feel much better in the morning. 
And there's some nights where last night I didn't get a whole lot of restorative sleep. And I'll be honest with you here. Last night, between me and my partner, Soph, there were two blocks of chocolate polished. And it was a later night because the footy was on and I was watching my team play. And then I woke up this morning and I was like, I felt that. So I'm going to be very conscious the next couple of days, but I think it's, yeah. it's awareness and understanding that really empowers us when it comes to health. And if you don't know what you're looking for, how do you know what to improve? Well said. I mean, I often say you, you need to measure it to manage it. Mm. And quality of sleep is, I think, a very fundamental thing that people should understand i mean why why have a third or a quarter of your life be this black box like don't you want to know what you're doing Mm. i mean you spend years and years and years of your life sleeping or trying to sleep feels like you should put a little bit into better understanding that and you know fortunately now with whoop you know you can get the same quality as a sleep lab in a very small and comfortable form factor I have to ask, is it a big challenge for you, Will, to sometimes focus a little less on optimizing your life? You know, you've got all this data at your hand and it's the company you founded and created, but let's say you're away with a wife and you're on holidays and it's time for you to just to embrace life for the next two weeks. And, you know, the daily operation of Whoop isn't at the forefront of your mind and whether you exercise as consistently or eat as healthy isn't a paramount focus. Do you ever switch off when it comes to this stuff and, and relax a little, or is a big part of your life just optimizing? I think that, uh, first of all, definitely I can, I can, I can switch it. I I almost think it like a, like a volume control. Like I feel like Mm. I can dial it up and down. And I think it's important to have a release valve for yourself from time to time uh, you know, people will ask me like, do you drink alcohol? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. With friends or with my wife. Yeah, sure. Of course. So it's not, I wouldn't say I'm so draconian about all of these things, but I've gotten a lot of them to a place where the release valve is still in a pretty good place. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not going from eating well to eating a ton of McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like it's not, um, I don't, I don't fall off the wagon in a, in sort of a chaotic way. And I think it's, and also you've kind of trained your body to like feeling healthy. So uh, directionally, I would say um, I'm in a healthy place, but I wouldn't say I'm always thinking about optimize, 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 because if you get a little too caught on that cycle, I do think it can be, it can wear people down. Let's put it that way. Yeah, such a good point. And I definitely noticed that in my own life There's times where I can potentially yo-yo a little too much where I am at the start of the year, every day for 48 days, I ran 10K a day and I was very optimized and I was very focused on sleep. And I got myself into a point in which I was feeling very healthy and very dialed in. And then off the back of that, I kind of just, you know, jumped off the cliff face and and went into a space in which I was eating way too much refined sugar and not really looking after myself. And for me, it's always about trying to find that balance, find that middle ground in which I exist both optimally, but also can, as you said, dial it down a little bit and and enjoy the pleasures of life. One thing that I've noticed particularly that 
has very much impacted my recovery the last couple of weeks is stress. And I've been doing more than ever from a work standpoint. I've taken on a little bit of work outside of what I do to try and keep the head above water and to keep the ship afloat. And I've found that that's come with the stress of trying to manage everything and, and spending 38 hours of my week in a place in which I don't want to exist in the future. And with that has come some stress. And I've noticed that my stress is something that affects my recovery. It affects my sleep. It affects the way that I feel day to day. But the one thing I haven't fully wrapped my head around yet is one of the new features, which is the stress monitor. Explain to me how that works and, and the way that we can implement and, and use that in daily practice to understand a little bit more about our physiology. It's a great question. So Whoop is unique in that we have a stress monitor in the app, which allows you to, in very real time, see what your stress levels are at. And let's see if I can pull this up while we're speaking. And so the powerful thing about that is it allows you to have a sense for what's the state of your body in any given moment from a stress standpoint. Right now, it looks like I'm at a 0.9, which is you know pretty good for being on a podcast with you. I'm right kind of in that middle. It's from zero to three. So I'm a little bit on the lower end, which is a sign that I'm relaxed. And part of the goal of the stress monitor is to help you figure out what are the things that trigger stress for you? And is, is it stress that you want or not? Mm. So right now, if I were having a podcast with you and my stress was at a two and a half or closer to a three, I would think, okay, that wasn't very productive. That was probably affecting my performance on the podcast. Now on the flip side, if uh, if I was about to compete in you know some kind of a competition or do some really physical event, you know you'd want to be more activated. You want your stress levels to be higher. Uh, if you're preparing to go to bed, you want your stress levels to be really low. In fact, one sign that we've seen of lower quality sleep is when your stress is elevated right before sleep. So. The other thing that comes with this is uh, a set of breathing techniques that you can do in the Whoop app, which actually allow you to actively change your stress levels. So let's pretend that you find you're in this high state, maybe two and a half or close to three, and you've got an important meeting or you have to give a speech. There's certain breathing techniques you can do to very quickly lower that stress level. A lot of it comes back to exhaling for longer than you inhale. And so Whoop will guide you how to do that. On the flip side, let's say maybe you're feeling a little tired and you need to do something important or you've got a sporting event or you want to be more activated, right? Mm. You can actually do some breathing techniques to increase your stress levels and to make yourself potentially more alert. So all this is to say that high stress versus low stress is not necessarily inherently a good or bad thing but you want to be able to understand it. And it a lot of it comes back to what's the intention, what's the goal that you might have personally and giving yourself a better ability to control those states. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is measuring your stress in real time. So right now, if I looked at my stress monitor, it's reflective of exactly how I feel in this moment. Correct. It's how your body feels in this moment because mm. there are there are actually times where you might not necessarily know the state of your body. You know, have have you ever uh, found yourself giving a speech and then realized during it or after that you were quite nervous? 
that's the kind of thing where if you were looking at the stress monitor, it would have given you some clues. Okay, maybe, maybe I have to get myself right before I step up here. So there are times where, um, and, and on the flip side, when you're going to bed, this is a time where you actually might, I, I find it can happen to me too, where you you think you're ready for bed, but because your mind's drifting a little on some conversation you had at work or a fight with your partner or you know fill in the blank, you're actually more activated than you should be. And there's certain things you can do to to get yourself to sleep. So, you know, look, all of this is a tool, right? And at the end of the day, you have to learn how you want to use the tool. Whoop is a tool. It's a coach. It can give you a lot of powerful information that if harness can make you healthier or perform better, there still needs to be some motivation on the other side of this. It's not just like putting this on your wrist in that of itself is going to, you know, you're going to snap into shape. You do have to take the information and work with it and, and, you know, be coachable. I love that. It's such a good point. You speak there about obviously a few things that are going to impact the way that we feel and recover every day. If there were three tools that you could give the every in, everyday individual who wants to feel better and recover better, what would those three tools be to maximize your health? Three tools to maximize your health. And let's say outside of exercise, because I think that's a given that everyone knows that doing some form of activity is really important, but let's talk about like more so three recovery tools. Recovery tools. Okay. Well, I mean, first and foremost, sleep and high quality sleep. So you want to get as much restorative sleep and, and uh, that includes REM sleep and slow wave sleep. So REM sleep is the amount of time that your, your mind spends repairing. Uh, and slow wave sleep is the amount of time that your body is actually producing human growth hormone while you sleep. So 95% of your human growth hormone actually gets produced during slow wave sleep. So if you want to uh, recover your mind, it's all REM sleep. And if you want to recover your body or your muscles or you worked out or you're injured, it's slow wave sleep. So those two periods of sleep are about as important as it gets from a recovery standpoint. Can I ask a quick question on that, Will? Yeah. Can you influence whether you get more deep sleep or more REM sleep, or is that just a natural part of the process of sleeping well? Well, that's a great question. Generally, if you're getting more restorative sleep, you're kind of proportionally getting more REM and more slow wave sleep. There are certain supplements you may find or techniques or behaviors that maybe lend themselves a little bit more to one or the other. So magnesium versus melatonin, maybe those have slightly different effects on what quality of sleep you have. But again, this goes back to what we've been saying, you know, all day, uh, Bradley, which is, you know, you need to measure it to manage it. Mm. So start measuring your sleep, figure out a baseline and then start tweaking things. Okay. What if I drink more water before bed? What if I drink less alcohol before bed? What if uh, I eat earlier in the evening? What if I eat later in the evening? What if I worked out that morning versus in the evening? Like all these things have such a you know meaningful effect on your body. 
Is there, like, if you looked at the percentage of restorative sleep to overall sleep, what are some of the more impressive numbers you've observed personally when you're nailing that bedtime routine and, and you're in a really good place to get optimal sleep? Well, a lot of it, a lot of the way to think about it is as a percentage. So if you can get like over 50% of your time in bed to be restorative sleep, you're in a good, you're in a pretty good mm. place. And, you know, some of the, maybe the very best sleepers on Whoop are closer to 70%, right? So they're spending seven hours in bed and they're getting five and a half hours of restorative sleep. And I, by the way, I can promise you a person who's getting five and a half hours, five and a half hours of restorative sleep is living an amazing life. They're happy, they're healthy, they have good relationships. And I can promise you someone who's getting 30 minutes of restorative sleep has all kinds of issue in their life. And some people will say, well, maybe it's the issues causing the sleep. I say, maybe it's the bad sleep causing the issues. So it's just interesting to think about how slight changes in your lifestyle or your behaviors might have this outsized impact in how you feel. I'm going to go on one more tangent here because I have to ask you a question about this. I'm just really curious about sleep at this point in my life. You see devices like Newcom, which seem to have a really good effect for endurance athletes and people who are putting their body under really vigorous stress levels for extended periods of time athletically. And something like Newcom device, which taps into the frequencies, and I'm not sure of the exact science behind it, but encourages the body to go into these sleep states will have the ability to give them, I think is what's supposed to be three hours of deep sleep equivalent in just 30 minutes of actual sleeping. Now, my numbers could be a little bit off there, but do devices like that have a negative impact? Like if you're, if you're using something like that to stimulate the way that your body sleeps, would that have an effect on you long-term? Or if someone was to use a device like that every evening, would it be beneficial? I don't know enough about that specific device to comment on that device. Mm. It is true that if you start using a certain supplement or get used to sleeping in a dark room or you know things like that, then if you if you take that away, your sleep may be affected. Uh, this is particularly true for people who uh, smoke marijuana, who take very strong prescription um, sleep medications. Uh, those are two examples where you find that uh, if you take that thing away, so they didn't smoke marijuana or different person, they didn't take their Ambien, the, the sleep will be very bad. Now, that's not to say either of those things is good for sleeping. It's just to say that if you chronically or habitually do something before your your bed, your body gets used to that. And then if you change it, there's a there's a calibration period, right? Mm. Uh, and so um, interestingly, very strong prescription sleeping pills often make people fall asleep, but don't necessarily give them a high quality of sleep. So it's yeah, a lot of light sleep, not necessarily restorative sleep, which is what we talked about. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I'm done segueing on that. So I'm going to let you go to those <laughs> other two tools. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think having a, a balanced diet and one that's right for you is pretty critical. 
I would put hydration in that camp. I think most people are dehydrated. That's a big thing you'll see on Whoop is that if you're dehydrated, uh, that'll show up directly in your recovery score. Everything else might be fine. You did the right workout. You did the, the right behaviors during the day, but you just didn't drink enough water. And then, you know, lastly, my least personal experience has been that meditation is an enormously important piece of recovery or, uh, you know, a healthy state. And if you want to extrapolate that more, you could just say breathing, like learning how to breathe properly, learning how to sit with your thoughts, close your eyes, breathe. Uh, you know, I do that for 20 minutes every morning, different formats, but, you know, for me, it changed my life. So I, I have to endorse it. I love that. And I think you've been a, you've been another one of those people who have had amazing benefits from meditation and breathing who tell me. Brad, you have to meditate. You have to try it. And it's so weird for me that I haven't yet. And I don't know the reason behind it. I often ask myself, why have I not taken the time to sit down and try or be actively involved in, in a meditation ritual in which, you know, maybe just for 10 minutes a day, I test what the benefits of that are like over the course of a month. And I think it's, it comes down to the fact that I've really struggled hard to sit still. Well, like I, <laughs> I find that I'm like, I'm so constantly needing some sort of, it's probably addiction to dopamine, to be honest with you. I need some sort of stimulation. I'm, I'm never still and just doing nothing, but I need to really encourage myself. So I think this here today is, is the final straw that broke the camel's back. And I think I'm going to make an active effort and report back on, you know, what my experience with meditation is like over the course of the months to come. I have I to think, ask. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I think just making a commitment to it, um, mm. that's a that's a big deal. Discipline, hey? That old thing. Do it every day for some period of time. What is that for you? Is it 10 minutes? Is it 20 minutes? 20 minutes every morning. Mm. And why in the mornings? Is it just to get yourself in a place in which you're ready to go? Is it like first thing as you yeah. wake up or is it just before work? I wake up, I get out of bed, I take a freezing cold shower, I put on my clothes, I give my wife some kisses, who's often still asleep, I go upstairs and I meditate. So it's just like, it's the first thing, you know, hopefully I've barely looked at my cell phone. And that's how I start the day centered. Man, I love that. Definitely something I'm going to implement. I have to ask, Will, I don't want to hold you up for too much longer, but I, I really want to take an opportunity to get some final words from you. I think if there's a message that you can impart on the people who are tuning into the podcast that you believe will have the biggest impact on their life and you can encourage them to actively be involved in, in that practice or that way of thinking or that mindset, what would your piece of advice for everyone listening be? Well, I do think trying to adapt some form of a growth mindset will change your life. It's not about where you are today. It's about where you can be in 10 years or 20 years if you do the right thing every day and just get a little bit better. You don't get you know fit from two workouts. You don't become a successful CEO from starting a company and three months later, you're rich. Like it's it's a process of keep going. 
and keep going and get a little better every day. And if you get 1% better every day, holy smokes, where are you five years from now? Oh, forget even five years, one year from now, five years, 10 years from now. I think people grossly overstate what they can do in a year and grossly underestimate what they can do in five or 10 years. And if you really, uh, if you really set your sights high and then focus on just getting a little bit better every day, and by the way, not mapping yourself to anyone else, it's not about you versus anyone, not about someone you read about, not about Bradley and me, not, there's no one that you should compare yourself to. It's just you versus yourself and you get a little better every day. Mate, I absolutely love it. And it's, it's such good advice. I know that a growth mindset over the course of the last three and a half years has been a real driving force as to why I'm really excited about where I am at in my life right now and where I'm going. And man, I'm just so excited for you. I can see when you talk about what you've built, there's still that, that energy, that smile, that enthusiasm for the fact that this vision you had many years ago is now most definitely a part of the reality in which you live and exist in every day. And, um, big fan of the company. Thank you. Fan of what's to come. And, and I would really endorse to everyone listening, check this out, spend some time researching Whoop, get around it. And, you know, as Will said, you can subscribe and unsubscribe if it's not for you, but I would be highly surprised if anyone puts this on their wrist and at some point in time doesn't believe it's, it's for the betterment of themselves. So I'm so grateful to have spent the time chatting with you here on the podcast, Will, and and I'm so looking forward to hearing everyone's incredible endorsements once they check Whoop out. Bradley, thank you so much for having me. And and to everyone listening, you can actually try Whoop for a free trial now. So it's a new program, but you can literally sign up for Whoop for free for 30 days. And if you don't like it, just send it back. So that's a new program we recently launched, uh, which I think is kind of like a can't go wrong program. And uh, yeah, Bradley, really appreciate uh, you and your interview style. Very thoughtful. And and uh, I'm excited to hear how the meditating goes. Thank you, brother. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it, and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I wanna pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history and storytelling and as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.